Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name is Alex Gruskin, and joining me on today's podcast, as always, it's my doubles partner, although maybe not anymore, partner in crime and the recent participant of the Open Championships at Sunset Hills Country Club, it's our very own Maxwell LeBauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. Considering you made me wait three f***ing hours to do this, maybe I am going to switch my partner. Might just have well, to. It's, it's more that your mo- most recent match was with someone who wasn't me, and perhaps that's why you lost. That's a sign to you that don't mess with the gods. When something's working, you don't f*** it up. Yeah, I guess so. But we had a good match, um, as Alex said. Played in my coach's tournament this weekend. A lot of good players. Uh, my high school doubles partner and I played LMU's number one dubs team and uh, played pretty well. Lost in a pro set 8-6, but uh, it, was, it was fun. It was, it was good to get back out there. Yeah, how, how are you playing? How'd the serve look? Nishioka-esque? I definitely hit that same out-wide ace a couple times. <laughs> my elbow definitely feels like it's about to fall off. Oh, that's half the fun. That's why I'm retired now. That's why we're in the podcast business, because we can't yeah, exactly. do it full time. <laughs> my body can't handle it anymore. Exactly. But then, you know, a little bit of housekeeping before we get into what was, you know, I say this every time, but this time I mean it. This was the best day of tennis we've had so far, and it wasn't even close. I mean, this this round of tennis was just phenomenal. But before we start talking about I feel that. I like we're just going to keep saying that, though. <laughs> I mean, and isn't that a good thing? If a round starts sucking, you know, I'm not... It, right now, as we're recording, Isner and Rayonich are playing. I'm not exactly sad I'm missing that match. Yeah, I mean, it's just serves and missed returns. That's what I'm it, saying. So, luckily... You know what you're getting. Yeah, but that wasn't the case in this round. But as we mentioned, we'll get into it. A little bit of housekeeping beforehand. If you have missed anything... From this week of the, from the first week of the U.S. Open, if you want to recap, <clears> you want to see, you know, what players are doing better than expected, what matches we've highlighted, just you want to check up on any of the action, go to our website. What is that, Max? That is crackedrackets.com with a CQ. In the rackets, not in the cracked. It's not C R A C Q. Although, if we could go back, do you think wow. we should do that for both? If we did cracked no, rackets, no, that, sound, that sounds stupid. It's a little too cheesy. Okay, I appreciate it. That's why I don't get to make those decisions. But again, if you missed anything, check out all of the content from our host of writers, Alex Gornett, Ryan Cardiff, Matt Stachowiak, Anna Bright, Parson Amadi, Jamie McDonald, Bo Trays, Max Fliegner, Dalton Thieneman. All of our team has been you know, trying to make this U.S. Open experience as enjoyable for us, the fan, as possible. And we know you'll like that content, so go check it out. You know, Set it as your homepage for the rest of the tournament so you don't miss out on anything. Or also, just for the rest of your life. And, you know, it's, it's not yeah, just the U.S. Open that we covered. It's it's really a win-win. And, you know, if you haven't, you know, if you want to check up on the other things in the tennis world, check out our newest platform, the CR Live. You know, we had the chance to go to Stowe, Vermont. We had the chance to go to Cincinnati, get some interviews on cameras with these players. So if you're curious, you know, what are the looks behind these beautiful tones I hear on the podcast, go check us out on video. Those Those interviews were a ton of fun. Um, and of course, our social media accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Max corrected me last time. We also have a YouTube account. We'd love to get some followers there. And you know, if, if you're not already, rate, subscribe, review, listen to the Great Shop podcast, as well as our other podcasts, the Cracked Interviews podcast. So many great guests on there. Ronnie Schneider, the Wolves, Manny Diaz, all of the next-gen Americans. 
Uh, we know you'll love those shows. So again, go leave a nice little rating there for us as well. And Max, how many stars? Solo five, as I've said before. Solo five is they're never going to get to a Han Solo five movie. But if they did, that would probably be the title at that point. They're just like, look, <laughs> it's Solo five. Like Solo you know, five, you, baby. Yeah, you know that's also like the versions of Ocean's Eleven. It's like Solo's <laughs> five. Uh, but the last thing we have to plug, and it is U.S. Open related, so it counts. We have our live show in Indy, our very first live show that we are doing during this year's U.S. Open Men's Singles Final. We'll have the pre-show beforehand, 2 to 4.30, and then we'll be going live throughout the final. You know, in case you're sick of the ESPN commentary like Rothman, like Jamie, like so many others seem to be. Uh, I'm going to stay neutral in that argument. We can, we can have that debate another time, but we are <laughs> really neutral. excited for this show. We have you mean so- stay neutral just on the pod? Well, let's just say Chris Fowler calls and was like, "We would." He wants to come on a Great Shot podcast. I don't want to be the one trashing him. You can be. I'll I'll talk it trash straight to his face. Come on, Chris, <laughs> let's do it. It's a challenge. I love it. But yeah, so you know, we're really excited for that show. We have a ton of great guest lines up. A lot of college coaches. A lot of pro players. We think it's going to be a ton of fun, and we know you guys will enjoy it. So be sure to have that stream going live as you're watching the final. You know, you'll get our takes live rather than having to wait for the next day or sometimes the next three days for the pod to come out. Yeah, no, it's it's actually... Yes, that is a dig at... uh, I didn't intro him earlier, but he is in the background. Our super producer, Ivy League champion and full-time chemist, Maximilian O. Fleekner, who unfortunately, due to some technical problems we were having, uh, he's not going to have his own mic, but he'll come in and give some takes intermittently. Yeah, Alex, and it's funny that you mentioned the commentary. I actually had uh, a long conversation with Gage Brimer's dad about the tennis commentary and, and our thoughts. And so uh, that was actually following an interview that I did with former UCLA superstar Gage Brimer. Uh, I also had the chance to interview current blue chip and incoming longhorn Jacob Bullard. I uh, had two good interviews with these guys, some really good tennis at this tournament. I uh, got to give some credit to my coach. He really brings in some fabulous players. We got some Stanford, got some USC players. Unfortunately, our guy Carousel had to pull out because of an injury. was really looking forward to meeting him after our uh, kind of virtual introduction over the pod a few months ago. Uh, but definitely look forward to those interviews. And honestly, Alex, let's just, let's just start talking about these matches. There was, as you said, unbelievable tennis. And, you know, obviously we've plugged the – the indie show coming up. We're going to keep plugging it because it's going to be sick. So let's start talking about the tennis. All right. I'm totally down to do that. Obviously you are ready for this podcast. That three hour wait has you a little anxious. I'm glad to hear it. That those are always the best pods. I mean, stop talking. Let's (laughs) go. All right. On that note, let's talk about the round three, because as you mentioned, it was a just incredible round three. Some of these matches. And of course we're, you know, our perspective may be clouded right now because we have just experienced these, but you could argue it was some of the best tennis we've seen on tour all year long, and I'm sure we're going to. The first two matches I want to talk about, and we'll break down each one individually, but you and I had this debate before the podcast, something we wanted to talk about during. Which was the more impressive match? Rafael Nadal, the number one seeds, 5-7, 7-5, 7-6, 7-6 win, over 27 seed Karen Hachanov, who we, of course, on this podcast call Karen Kachnov of Kachnov. Russia. The young Russian himself. Can we get a Russian, uh, the Russian national anthem in the background, please? 
and compare that match That's with be another. Uh, you're gonna enjoy. You're gonna actually have to listen back so that you get to hear that sound effect. Uh, it's pretty early on <laughs> in the pod, so you'll make it that far. But what's the other match I want to <laughs> compare idea. it with? The number seven seed Marin Cilic's four six three six six three six four seven five marathon night match against young Australian Alex Dimenauer. Um, let, which match do you want to talk about first, Rothman? Let's do Nadal Hetchana first. I think Nadal, given that he's the defending well, champ, on. has earned I'm the- going to answer the question you asked originally, which is which <laughs> one was better, because that's normally what happens when you ask a question, there is an answer. And I will give you one. <laughs> the Dimenauer match was by far and away the better match in most regards. The, right, the quality of tennis, yourself. the upside uh that was shown for dim and hour the fact that he i mean it sucks that he won the first two and dropped the next three but this is the kind of match where you say oh this is the kind of kid that in two years is going to be making consistent fourth rounds at grand slams and is going to make movements he is going to be you know obviously he's being coached by leighton hewitt but he is going to be similar to leighton hewitt as far as his career goes he is so fast so talented and he hung with Chilich. Honestly, I, I think there were times where I wish he'd been more aggressive and that would have made the difference in this match. But we've seen Kiechnov do well in tournaments already. He just played Cincy, obviously lost to Chilich in the round of 16 in a tight match. He got to the semis of Rogers where he also lost to Nadal. I mean, he had a good run at Wimbledon making the fourth round. So he's kind of shown that he can make it to this point. I think... This was just a match where we were like, wow, this is great quality tennis, and I think everyone enjoyed it, but the Dimenauer match had way more impact on the future of his career, and that it's just something that was unexpected. I don't think we could have said that this was going to happen for this match. Well, before I forget and get back to this question, Jonathan Kelly, you know, Joe Kelly Tennis, friend of the podcast, was texting me before this, and he was like, it's going to be fascinating because, you know, Diminuer is a year younger than Fritz, and yeah, you know, he had a great five-set match, probably the more thrilling round three result, but when you compare, I mean, both guys in this tournament made the third round, like, both of them deserve a ton of credit, but it's just interesting because, as you mentioned, this result against Chilich for Diminuer, you know, it solidifies his, what was it? 0-1 and 2 win over Taro Daniel in round one and then in round two obviously he takes out Tiafo in four sets I mean he had a hell of a tournament but still when you're looking at these two matches getting back to the original question you know compare the stats winners in this match 98 winners in the Chilich Dimenauer match 61 for Chilich 37 for Dimenauer you had 115 in the Nadal Hachanov match so you know 90 or 49 from Nadal 66 from Hachanov I mean they were both whacking the ball it was unbelievable but then you look at the unforced air count 106 in the Chilich Dimenauer match, 70 unforced errors from Chilich. That's something we'll get back to when we talk about that match. 36 from uh, Dimenauer, again, incredible. But then in the Nadal Hachanov match, you have 93 only. So, you know, that match, more winners, less unforced errors. You look at the distance covered between these two matches. Again, you're talking about how long these points are. Nadal goes over 17,000, Hachanov over 16,000 in the other match. Yeah, you know, Dimenauer goes over 17,000, but in Chilich's case, he only goes to 14,000. I think Nadal Hachanov was the more physical match. I think you had four incredibly close sets as opposed to the Dimenauer-Chilich match where 
I don't know. It felt like both sets two and three were pretty definitive. You know, once Chilich and Dibbenauer got their breaks, there was no backing down. Versus Nadal Hachanov, I mean, every set got to five all. It was really a pick 'em, and at that point, you really could, you know, barely uh, separate the two in terms of performances. You look at that third set tiebreak. If Hachanov doesn't double fault three times, he could end up taking that breaker, and then who knows if it goes five with Nadal and his knee. Uh, I mean, both incredible matches. I don't know, Fligner. Come on in here. Be the tiebreaker. Who? What, what are you thinking in terms of those two matches? Pretty sure any match with Rafael Nadal is going to be the more physical of the two. So you're going to take my side? Yeah. Right. I, I just I, I have to disagree. I, I think there are few players, and we talked about this, Alex, there are few players that could have done what Dimonauer did in that match. And... We said it was a, a Djokovic, a Murray in his prime, a Monfee, and that was basically, and an Adal, right? As far as being able to physically hang in that match, there is zero chance that Kiechnov was able to, <laughs> would have been, excuse me, would have been able to hang in that match with Chilich. There's just no way. Well, I think it becomes a different match at that point because their styles are so differently. And again, this gets back to the debate we had. Dimonauer is quicker. He certainly you know, speeds up at a faster rate than Hachanov. I think they both have similar top speeds. I think Hachanov hits a bigger ball. I think he's uh, more, I mean, he's able to work the outer thirds of a court better than Dimonauer. You look at the way, you know, yes, Dimonauer was able to scramble side to side because Chilich had him moving that way. Hachanov really attacked the Nadal backhand, really tried to get him stretched. You know, as soon as he would have him stretched, the only time he would hit to the forehand side, especially early on in the first set, was when that half was wide open. I think he he worked the angles more, again, as Fligner mentioned, just given the spin of Nadal, such a physical match in terms of him having to use his legs to make sure he's making good contact. I mean, both of these guys were incredible. Enough comparison. Let's talk about these matches and what happened because they both deserve to be talked about separately. You know, we talked a lot about the stats for Nadal Hachanov, but just in general, I think what Hachanov showed, the discipline he had, again, the discipline, the depth, you know, the first serve, you look at his numbers, yeah, he, he makes 67% of his first serves and wins 66% of those points. He got exposed a little bit on the second serve, you know, uh, 48% of his second serve points won. The nine double faults, again, terrible. He was up, it was 5-6, 40-15 in the second set he was serving to stay alive, and he double faulted twice on back-to-back points. Again, the three double faults in the third set breaker. Uh, but, you know, a 119 first serve average speed, 90-second uh, second speed. 22 aces. It's That's filthy. It is. So so here's here's a few things about this match. I, I know yeah, I obviously I, I'm sorry argued. for that rant, by the way. I, I, I know you have a lot to say. This is this well, is why we wanted to talk about these matches. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I, I think the, the Dimonara match was better, had, had more future implications. But this match was amazing. I, I think the one thing that just blew my mind was how many times I just thought, <laughs> uh, how do I, <laughs> I, I need to like, do I say his name, Kiechenol, the whole time like this? Do I, do I think I, you do have you? to. Oh, you know what? Do, use intermittently. Do what you got to do. All right. Hachanov. Um, there were so many times where I actually just didn't think he was going to get to the next actually, ball. Actually, I'm sorry. Executive ruling, Kiechenov. Kiechenov. We have That's to. our thing. Let's stick yeah. with it. Um, although we can't overuse it like Fearhand, or, or <laughs> people will lose their minds. Well, um, if he keeps winning, we might have to. Well, I heard I heard him today say that Nadal had the ultimate Fearhand. Oh I, my god! I don't know. 
Anyways. Del Potro. I am afraid of Del Potro's uh, forehand. You mean fear hand. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just, just back to that. There, there were so many points where I actually couldn't believe that Kiechenov was actually getting to the balls that he was getting to. There's there's a great point. If there's one, if you needed to watch one point that summarizes the entire match, go watch the third set set point. It's like a ridiculous 38 ball rally that unfortunately Kiechenov ends up losing. He he definitely played his heart out on this point. But that literally defined what some of the best tennis in the match was. And I think the thing that's most interesting to me, and we've brought this up uh, a couple times in pods before, look at Nadal's total number of points at the net, 40. 40 to Kachanov's 45. That is so unlike Nadal. And I know you keep smiling as I say I'm going to giggle every time. It's great. It's great. Um, but he goes 28 of 40 at the net. That's a 70% conversion rate at the net. That's crazy. I you he is, you would I, so so the there's thing, no way you'd you see that from 2005 Nadal or even so 2010 thing, Nadal. The thing I think he does so much better now than he used to when he works an opponent over on the backhand side. The second he sees them go to the slice, he's in. It's not even a decision anymore. It's he is sneaking in, and his ability to cut off the high backhand volley and take that cross court has gotten so much better. As you mentioned, I also think the counter side to that, Hachanov did such a good job of elevating the ball, did such a good Wait, job of who, making... who did? Oh, sorry, Kachnov did such <laughs> a good job of elevating the ball, made sure he had proper net clearance, make sure, you know, if I'm in trouble, I'm attacking the Nadal backhand. And he had so many backhands down the line as well, and it was so impressive. But the thing he did not do well is volley. And yeah, it says in terms of net points, he went 27 of 45, 60%, but he butchered a lot of putaways and I know Nadal hits and I know Nadal hits heavy lefty spin and God knows how hard that ball is to actually volley because of course I couldn't do it but still to be elite him uh, you know we'll talk about Fritz later on against Dominic team these guys have to become better volleyers that's something you always mention I think in this match you know Hachanov 66 winners compared to 55 unforced errors that's an incredible ratio. If he can get more of those winners coming at the net, uh, you know, that I just think it benefits his game. He won't have to be as physical. And again, we talked about it. I mean, 17,671.2 feet for Nadal, 16,451.8 for Hachanov. That's the highest total number we've seen thus far. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that Nadal covered more court than did you know, unbelievable. He's blow- How old is he? 32, 33? Yeah, uh, 32, I think. It's unbelievable. He's shirtless yeah. and he and he pulls it off. <clears throat> or well, sleeveless. He's not, he's, yeah, I was gonna say he's not shirtless. If he did, <laughs> yeah. I think I think girls would be passing it's out the same in the stands. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, think about what would happen if you had a guy like Federer who couldn't volley the way he does. I mean, he seriously, his entire game would be different. He wouldn't be winning the matches that he does. Imagine if you gave a guy like Anderson great volleys, who, by the way, has been volleying much better and has been just kind of pushing forward to the net. I know I, I will see that disagree phase. with that. Yeah, we'll disagree on that later. Go on. But anyways, it, it is such an integral part of the game. If you think about it, it is the ultimate closing shot. If you don't have it, 
you're just going to leave the court open and leave the point open for you know the possibility of giving the other person more of an opportunity. It just so, it, it seems to me for a guy like Kachanov who has great strokes, big strokes, big balls, he should have those volleys to be able to close points out. We can move on from this match because I think you hit everything. Uh, I, I completely agree with you. I will add the last thing. Hachanov hit a beautiful tweener, and it was a leg up tweener. Yes, but at he least did. he went for the tweener. I know you have to like that, as yeah, the yeah. Uh, you, you know you're the professor of tweeners. So I'm, uh, it that's, was impre- that's a nice compliment. Hel- if you're yeah, of course. If you're Hachanov, I'm just trying to make it up for you. You know, after yeah, that you, three need, hour you delay. need to. Um, but yeah, but if you're Kachanov and you're coming out of New York, one, you have a beautiful new nickname. Two, hell of a performance from him. I mean, yes, he loses this match, but he could not have played any better. He really couldn't have. Um, I'm right there with you. But like you said, let's talk about the better match, the Dimenauer match. <laughs> that was good. That was good. <laughs> this, this match, I mean, I watched almost the entire thing. I feel bad for anyone who's on the East Coast because you had to stay up till 2.30 in the morning. I Counterpoint, Michigan-Notre Dame finished, and then it was straight chillish dim an hour. True. That, that is true. It was a nice sec. That's a, it was a good day of sports. Although, good day of sports. Although well, not minus really. the, yeah. Yeah. Good day can of we get sports a, Can we get watching. the uh, sad violin for Michigan real quick, Flickner? Yeah, jeez. Harbaugh is going to get some shit on Look, ESPN we're not, after this. We're, but we, we are a say, tennis not a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> are, let's with let's stick result. to the tennis. <laughs> So, but again, yeah. you talk about this Chilich match. He takes out Dimenauer, 4 6 The stat that sticks out most of all, distance covered in this, Dimenauer, 17,435 feet, the single highest individual total I have seen of any match in the tournament. Except you know, for Nadal's 17-6 <laughs> in the match. Oh, is he 17-6? Yeah. Hey, great shot to me. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you, you, still— He's Besides 19 that. years old. He's 19, and Chilich had him on a rope, side I mean, to side to side. Alex, but 70 quick. unforced errors. 70 S- unforced errors is a testament to how good Dimenauer is. 100%, but super quick, just on the, on the court coverage portion. Just uh, We're going to talk about this match next, but the TM Fritz, they were in, <laughs> they were in the low 10,000s. That's just for some frame of reference for all Dude, you people that don't. The fact that, that Taylor got to 10,000 is incredible. That is, <laughs> that's a first for him. Dude, Anderson Shapovalov were under 10,000. <laughs> the only time he's at 10,000 feet is when he's launching out of the Fortnite plane. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I, I like that one. But seriously, Dim and Hour is covering twice the amount of court that most other matches were covering, and that's just absurd. And seriously, go watch the third and fifth sets the way he was able to track down balls was truly magnificent. I haven't seen anyone be able to do that, like I said earlier, besides Djokovic, Nadal, Prime Murray, and Monfi. It was something to watch. Go, so go watch we, it if you haven't. We both know I consider myself the Pied Piper tennis historian of cracked rackets. Uh, self-proclaimed, of course. but Very self-proclaimed. I say this with a ton of you know hesitancy, and I... I'm not trying to be disingenuous. The only person I've seen hit on the run forehand similar to Dimenuer is when I've watched Pete Sampras highlights on YouTube. I mean, the guy's grip is fucking continental, and it yeah. doesn't matter because he just finds like it. He just finds a way to hit runners, uh, hit winners on the run, and 
it's a unique quality. Of course, you never want to say, you know, my game is you know predicated on hitting on the run winners because that's an impossible way to win. <laughs> but absurd. his defense was so good in this match. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. I do think that he should mix in a slice forehand every once in a while. I, I think there are times, he, like you what said, is this the seventies? No, he can just pull out some Federer-esque slice forehands. When like, has Roger Federer ever hit a slice forehand that wasn't bro, a drop shot? he is the king of the I am sprinting my ass off to an out-wide forehand, and I'm just going to hack at it and slice oh, it. Oh, you mean – oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you meant something else. Okay, go No, on. no, no. I'm, I'm talking about these on-the-run shots where I you're barely it. getting to I it. it. I got he, it. There's, there's a lot of opportunity for Dimonauer to – kind of give himself a little more time than to be sprinting full speed back to the court so if he we were to just hit a slice and just air it out a little bit. I, so I understand sometimes, this, you know, but, especially if they're coming to the net or if they're far back, you know, hitting that flat ball. But I don't know. I, I really think he would save himself some energy too if he did that. So the thing, we had this debate as well pre-show. I think when Chilich started to have success, and you look at the stats, he goes 27 of 35 on net points in this match, 77% conversion rate. When Dimonauer did get stretched and turned to the slice, Chilich did a great job of moving forward and cutting that ball off. And I think a lot of the top guys, the Nadals, the Federers, the Djokovic's, the Murray's, sorry, I had to throw them in there, the Chilich's, when they see you stretched, they are going to come in and hit a volley. So that's why I disagree with you. I like the fact that he plays pace all of the time that, you know, my coach had a saying, why would you ever, and this is probably why I'm not that good, but he would always say, if you're at a, if you can get to a ball, why would you slice it when you can hit it? And I think there is something to that saying, especially because all these guys are so f***ing good. At the same time, you look at his, you know, 37 winners in this match against 36 unforced errors, considering how much of a rope Chilich had him on, so impressive. And then, you know, some of the stats, the other things that stick out, you know, second serve win percentage for both of these guys. Chilich held the 39%. Dimonauer, he's got short, compact strokes, particularly on the backhand. He takes those balls early, got Chilich stretched, and I mean, that was his way of playing offense, was taking balls early. And then, you know, his problem still, 94 mile per hour average speed on the second serve. He throws in nine double faults in this match against only four aces, 47% win percentage on his own second serve, only makes 56% of his first serves. I mean, Chilich had 28 break points in this match. It's not to say Chilich didn't play well enough to win, but so, the effort from Demon Hour was so impressive. 100%. And it was weird. If you watch this match, Chilich's return was really shaky. It was off. It was, it was off. It was definitely off. And that was unfortunate because Dimonauer had plenty of opportunities to help himself because his return was so shaky, and he didn't because if you look at the third and fourth sets, he was under 50% of first serves in, and you just got to take advantage of a guy who's not returning well and put that first serve in. He lost so many chances at an easy first ball or a missed return and he just didn't even give himself that opportunity because he was missing first serves and I don't know obviously he doesn't have that big of a serve in general but you got to give yourself that chance you got to recognize that he's not making these returns and just put it in there and be aggressive on your first forehand or backhand well I wanted to ask you about this because you are also the serving expert on this podcast. What are your thoughts on the Dimonauer serve? It, it's, it's interesting. It's it's like a slice-based serve, right? It's not kick. It's more—I thought he did a good job going into the body and away from Chilich on the deuce side. 
I thought his ad side serve really wasn't anything special. Yeah, no, I, I mean, overall, the serve is, you know, fine. That's what, well, because he's small. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much he can do with his size. Uh, I don't know. I, I agree. I think he did pretty well. I mean, if you look at the difference in their average serve speeds, it's, you know, a five-mile-an-hour difference, which isn't huge. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think it's honestly surprisingly good for his size. Every time he served, I was watching it saying, oh, Chilich could just pound this. But then I looked over at the, the radar, and it would be, it would be in the 110 to, you know, low teens range. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, oh, that's not quite a ball that you can just tee off on unless you're, you know, a Djokovic and have an absurd return. But, yeah, it's, you know, it could use some work. Okay, so we'll, we'll end it here. Moving into 2019, whose upside are you more excited for? Kachanov or uh, Dimenauer? Dimenauer. I think I made that pretty clear. I, I just... I think there is opportunity for him to get better as far as being more aggressive. Uh, I really do think that there were opportunities for him in this match where had he been just a tad more aggressive, he would have won it You know, potentially in four sets. Uh, he probably could have had it in three if he had played slightly better in that third. I mean, he was down 3-0 in the first, came back. I mean, he did very well to be clutch in the clutch points. Um, but you saw the points that he won were the ones where he was aggressive. Yes, he won points being defensive and getting to balls that no one else is getting to. But the times where I was truly impressed and was like, wow, this is where this kid can you know, take off and, and really do well in the future is when he was aggressive, taking that flat forehand down the line. He needs to do more of that. And if he can, big things are coming for this kid. Completely agree with you. The other thing I, I will end by saying, and notice, I, again, I said earlier, I don't like to criticize the commentators. I will say we purposefully didn't go on and on about how Leighton Hewitt, Australian tennis great, happens to be Dimenauer's coach. I feel like on the commentary, they went every you know changeover showing Hewitt yeah. in the box, mentioning the fact that he's coached by Hewitt, and they've got that same grinders mentality. You know, all, uh, Criticism of the commentators aside, whatever they're doing is working so just stick oh, with yeah. that program because it seems that they're you know the Dimenauer Hewitt pairing is working quite well this was such a good showing for Alex Hewitt, but okay. if, you're li- if you're listening to this kudos to you man <laughs> yeah hopefully he is yeah. I'm sure we, we have a big Australian audience they love us there we love our Vegemite sure <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, let's move on to our next match. A young guy I mentioned as well making the third round, Taylor Fritz, you know, gets another shot at number nine seed Dominic Team, trying to get revenge for Steve Johnson, who lost the team the previous round. And for a while, it really seemed like Taylor Fritz was going to take this one, or at least take the third set, go up two sets to one. But in the end, Team wins this match 3 6, 6 3, 7 6, 6 4. Just a little too much firepower at the end. I do want to start with the take that you shared in our group chat, Rothman. Quote, Taylor Fritz is playing out of his right now. True or false? I mean, yeah. The, the kid was ripping the ball. And it was sick to see it. It sucks that he couldn't keep it up for the rest of the match. You know we're big Taylor Fritz fans on this pod. Uh, it was just a, a few too many unforced errors here and there kind of lost the serve a little bit he was only 50 percent first serves on the match and that hurts with a with a guy like him who has a big first serve uh, you know it, it just sucks I, I would have loved to have seen him pull this out he really had the potential to do that that second set should have gone his way and and i wish he had you know pulled it out because that would have been awesome to see him go 2-0 
Fligner, you have to cut this, and so give us the elevator music, but I... But okay, and we're back. <laughs> I wonder how many times that has been brought up in this pod. I mean, it's because you keep using that phrase, so I can't help it. But I, I completely agree with you. Taylor played so well in this match. He was on top of the baseline and just slugging away. He said, look, I know I can't get behind to the point. I'm not fast enough laterally uh, to cover the court as well. You know, Dominic Team hits huge balls. When he can load on one, he's going to stretch Fritz off the court, and he obviously did that a ton in this match. You look at their ratios, you know, 59 winners for Team against 52 unforced errors. For Fritz, 44 winners against 38 unforced errors. I mean, Taylor played sweet. He went after every return. He understood you know, I, I got to take time away from team. He's got these big ground strokes. I got to be on top of the baseline. I have to change direction as much as possible, not let team get in a rhythm. I thought Taylor's backhand down the line in this match in particular was exceptional. I yeah. also thought he would hit serves or ground strokes to the team backhand. And whenever he would see a slice, he would hop around immediately. And his inside in forehand was just working. It just was. Yeah, I think I want to also bring up one point. I think we were talking back in our Taylor Fritz Next Gen pod. No, that was the pod that never got released. I know, and we haven't released it, which is hilarious because we still need to do that. And that will be coming (laughs) back, so fans, if you're worried that we'll come back post-US Open. However, in this pod that we did record, I feel like I remember you saying that his backhand was weak. And I think... If you still think that... That is not what I said. I was I'm never, almost uh, certain that you said absolutely that. Absolutely not. If anything, I, I'm pretty sure we released the article writing about it where I say the thing that makes him se- like special is is his backhand. So we'll, we'll, we'll go check the tape. Okay, well, regardless, if anyone thought that he could pick on his backhand, you're wrong. He went... He held his own with TM on the backhand cross-court rallies in this match... And I think that is awesome to see because TM's backhand's tough to handle at times. I, I just thought the way he dipped his legs, uh, just he got so low for every backhand. And it was really impressive. Again, he's on top of the baseline. And you're looking at the things you want to criticize from this match. The big thing, as you mentioned, only 50% of his first serves in kind of served poorly throughout this one. He won 78% of those first serve points because he was able to play big serve plus one tennis but only 46% of his second serve points, you know, when team was able to hit a first ball aggressively, you know, force Taylor into either a slice or just getting stretched, that's when he was able to play offense. And then the big thing, oh, I mean, I should say one other thing, uh, you know, 48% win percentage on second serves for team, pretty good from Fritz, but something you don't like to see, seven double faults from Fritz, not, you know, he's known for a serve, he's got to be better than that. 88 mile per hour second serve average speed. I mean, again, we've seen Taylor hit bigger than that. And then the biggest thing, as always, 9 of 20 from the net, Rothman. It's just, yeah. I mean, although do you think, TM, I was going to say, do you think team took time away from him and didn't allow him to move forward? Or do you well, think Fritz just still is too hesitant? That's funny. I was, I was about to bring that up. I, I think it kind of flip-flopped in the match. I think in the beginning, Fritz actually had control, was, you know, giving himself time to, you know, hit the shots that he wanted. And I, I think team slowly started to figure out his game plan kind of pushed fritz back a little bit and then he was the one controlling the pace and taking away time um i don't know is the 15 dip the 15 winner differential what is 
the deciding factor in this match? I, I honestly think so. I, I think the fact that team was going for it a little more starting in that second set is what allowed him to push through and ultimately win this match. Now, the question I have for you, Alex, you mentioned this earlier, the the conversation about Diminar and Fritz and how I was saying the Diminar match was the best. Between these two, obviously they had great matches in this third round. Who do you think has the better 2019 year? Can I throw Hachanov in the mix as well? So I was I was gonna Sorry, throw Kachanov, Kachanov. I, I was gonna throw Kachanov in there, but he's a seed already at this tournament, and I think he's had a little more success than both of them. So I didn't want to throw him in this mix. So I'd so rather you sure. just answer okay, between so the two. Okay, so I think Kachanov's ninety six, Fritz is ninety seven, Dimenauer's ninety eight. Yep. If I'm just talking about the latter two, uh, it's tough. Dimin- uh, I don't know because I, I I still I, I reserve the right to watch Taylor Fritz perform another season on clay. I just I don't really know yet how his game's going to translate. And I think Dimenauer, because he's so quick, I think his game will translate pretty similarly on every surface. I also worry though because his ground strokes are so flat, he might struggle at the ATP level on clay as well, especially early on, just given his size. Given his stature, it's going to be hard for him to put people away. I'm going to go with Fritz. I'm going to go with the American. I think his game is more pro-ready. The serve's going to keep him in every match in 2019, wow. and he seems to know that. And, I mean, look at no further than this tournament. And he yeah. beats Misha Zverev in five. He beat, you know, he almost takes out team. Great performance from him. I mean, yeah, I hear you. It's funny. I was, as much as I've been on the, the Diminar train on this pod, I think I'd probably go Fritz too. The, to keep up <laughs> that level of play is just tough. It's just really tough to do that match after match after match. So yeah, I'll, I'll say the same. I, I would go with Fritz. Well, but I, think, I it, think we're sticking with our theme of next gen guys, and we should mention those are really the matches we're talking about because what became most clear after this round, all of these next gen guys, the 95s and up, and I say next gen 95s because I'm a 95, so. You, I'm next gen. I'm not this gen yet. I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, it's this idea. These guys are ready. They're right there. They are on the precipice. It's a few things mentally. Of maybe you know, it's nothing mechanical though. These game, their games are there, and it's just about execution at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. If you look, I mean, most of our favorite next gen guys were in this third round. We have, but they Fritz. lost. I, and and that was the point I was getting to. We had Fritz. We have Shapovalov. We have Chorich. Shapovalov, but still. Yeah, Shapovalov. We have Chorich. We have Dimenauer. We've got Zverev. Say I it. mean, we've got Kyrgios. No. One more. The accent. Oh, Kachanov. Sorry. <laughs> um, but that's six guys that are from the next gen. Unfortunately, only Chorich is the one that made it through. And you know what? It's That is probably due to the mental... Because he came on CR Live, I agree. That's uh, definitely why he broke. He's through. got the mental edge on everyone. He's <laughs> he's got the added CR Live touch. It's awesome. He's been interviewed by Max Roth and look for a big year from Gage Brimer in twenty nineteen. I'd say he'll have the best <laughs> year of all of these guys. Uh, but yeah, no, I I agree with you. It's you know they're all on the rise. And in terms of the next guy, we're going to talk about another next gen guy who came up short. Number twenty eight seed Denis Shapovalov who lost a five-set decision to number five seed Kevin Anderson, 4-6-6-3-6-4-4-6-6-4. The number I want to start with, 59 winners against 42 unforced errors for Shapovalov. 
the guys again of all of these young prospects Kyrios as well has this type of firepower and maybe Zverev but then Shapovalov is right up there with him he hits the ball harder than a Chung or a Chorage Shapo's backhand continues to impress me it's so sick when he steps up on it Stevie needs to take a lesson from Shapo I know you saw that tweet Stevie just do it man you need it (laughs) You absolutely did, I, need it. I didn't want to ask you this because I didn't want it to go to your head, but how did the subtweet from Stevie feel? Dude, I, I don't want to tell you how it really felt, but what it was great. What a joke. What a <laughs> joke. It's all such a joke. But okay, go on about Shapovalov. Um, that's all I really wanted to say. His backhand looks beautiful <laughs> as ever. He hits too many unforced errors, and he plays like a junior at times. I agree <laughs> with you. Anderson uncharacteristic in this match only 31 winners but against only 32 unforced errors you know Shapovalov really tried to play to the Anderson backhand and Anderson had no problem stepping up and hit it It seems like Shapovalov's ball kind of sat in his strike range a little bit I mean obviously Shapovalov played great you know he ended up taking this match to five sets I'm gonna make a hot take right now (laughs) Shapovalov cue the sizzle cue the sizzle Shapovalov is one of the better returners on tour. One of the best. Oh my god! On tour. Cue another sizzle afterwards. Jesus! If you How watch, can you say that? Anderson's on. play was slice out wide, slice down the tee, uh, at deuce, then add, hit to the Shapovalov backhand. I, like on the you serve, watch, overwhelming with pace. Hold on, Anderson is one of the harder <laughs> serves to return because of his height. It bounces at more of an angle than most guys. If you watch the fourth set, four five game that Shapovalov returned in, you cannot argue with me that he is not one of the better returners on tour. Not I can th- I can because when he's on, of course, when he looks good, he looks as good as any player. That's the testament to the firepower. But as you mentioned, he looks like a junior because but, sometimes he that slaps wasn't, way but too often. But that's not firepower. That is control of your body and your racket to be able to return. Seriously, you need to go watch these returns. They were absurd. <laughs> Absolutely you say that absurd. like I didn't watch the match. You didn't, and I know you didn't. <laughs> I'm serious. It is so hard to control your body like that. He looked like Djokovic out there. And I don't say that, you know, <laughs> very often. He looked so composed on his returns. He wanted it. I loved how badly he wanted it. I I very much disagree. I thought the returns is where Anderson took over, and I think this, the serve reflects that. Anderson to his credit, makes 71% of his first serves, wins 75% of those points, but wins 60% of his second serves as well. You know, it's a five-set match. Shapovalov only gets two breaks, goes two of nine versus Anderson's three of seven. Uh, To me, the big things, net points, Anderson only 14 of 23. Surprised it wasn't a higher total, and I suppose that is a testament to Shapovalov trying to dictate during the point. Shapo, 18 of 33. I can't believe I just said Shapo. I regret it already. But 55% <laughs> conversion on net points. Uh, not bad. You'd like to see that a little higher. But the big thing, he had to make this a more physical match than it was. And only 33.3, or 33.4 feet per point for him, 30.2 for Anderson. That's not good enough. Yes, Anderson will take a lot of cracks early in the rally. But still, for Shapovalov to be as quick as he is, you have to lengthen this match. Get the big man tired and... You know, he was Absolutely. really close. I think he got broken, I think, four all in the fifth, but still had to be more physical. 100%. That That is how, honestly, I, I think Shapo is going to win matches in the future. 
is by setting up the point. He's going to be one of the more fit guys out there. He's going to be the one who can take time to set up the point. And it is hard to do that with a guy like Anderson who's just going to hit ridiculous forehands and backhands all over the court. Second but, player I've seen at all tournament average over 100 miles per hour on the second serve. Yeah, I mean, that that is impressive. And to do that with only one double fault, that that's really pretty good. sweet. Um, also, again... I, am I crazy? I feel like I should. Ex- I feel like that's expected of pros. I think eight double faults is way too much in a match. All right, I, my two perspectives. One, I double fault more than anyone, so that is true. Tough. Three times yeah. in. So the I always Maddie feel final. bad criticizing these guys. That neither will I trust me. Uh, but <laughs> eight is eight over five sets isn't horrible. One percent, a little over one point six percent, not great. Not terrible. I think 1% it should be the maximum. Yeah, yeah, so 5 or under would have been an acceptable number for me in this match. Especially when for Shapovalov, 13, you're hitting 13 aces. You have to hit a little bit of a bigger serve against Anderson. And, you know, he went 96 miles per hour on the second serve. That's, you know, 100 is an arbitrary number. 96 is pretty good. 118 on the first. But yeah, I that eight is I feel like all of these guys, you're right, all tournament, eight, nine, seven, you know, eleven. We've seen all the like a range of numbers between that seven and eleven range from too many of these guys, particularly because there haven't been that many five set matches. No, and and think about it. I mean, we talk about how tennis is a game of margins. Those double faults can be the, all the difference in a game, and that's just unacceptable, especially when you're trying to hold serve completely agree with you but then okay let's move on to our most disappointing result from a next gen guy that of course number four seed alex sasha zverev who loses six seven six four six one six three to fellow countryman philip kohlschreiber i mean i almost feel bad for making this our last breakdown as opposed to Djokovic's demolition of gasquet or federer curious because federer's going around net cords and doing everything but we just have to talk about it what the f*** is wrong with Alex Zverev? I mean, we talked about it before the tournament, and we were like, yeah, can he make it past a third, fourth round? He really should be. He's ranked fourth Cole in the Cole Schreiber's a joke of a draw. Like, how many times has he been home for the offseason and been like, Philip, let's go hit. Like, let's grind today. This is a guy who he should not be having troubles with. No, not at all. And although I do got to say, he played pretty damn well. Yeah, no, I agree. Cole Schreiber was was good in this match, but Zverev was bad. I feel like we keep doing that though. We're we're saying that these top guys are playing well, like all trash, these which guys are which good. isn't which isn't you know wrong. But the other guys are playing great. I okay. mean, you gotta give them credit. The things I would prove to point that Zverev didn't play to his ability. You know, thirty nine winners to fifty three unforced errors. He missed. The biggest single issue I saw in this match is as much as he tried to work the Cole Schreiber one-handed backhand, Zverev could not make a backhand down the line. He just couldn't. It wasn't there that day. And so, again, the minus 14 ratio, that's a testament to that. Only wins 45% of his second serve points because he's throwing in 82-mile-per-hour second serves on average. Uh, He throws in seven double faults in this match against only nine aces. And then 20 of 41 from the net. I mean, he couldn't volley in this match either. It was just... He played sloppy. It, it was I, bad time. I literally made a note in my computer that said, Zverev needs better volleys. That is the only <laughs> note I made. The theme of all of these young guys. It Maybe we just don't know how to you know, talk about their stroke structures. So we're like, yeah, they just need to learn to volley. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're like, oh, their strokes look fine. Volleys. 
<laughs> only volleys. If I were their coach, they'd be hitting volleys for hours. <laughs> no, but so what's so yeah? You talk about Zverev, but he just wasn't confident. I, so I, and here's I, I wrote down these questions too because I, I literally was sitting there watching this match, and is this just pure inexperience? I, I don't understand. Is it the nerves? Does he? have this expectation on him that because he's ranked four in the world, he should be going farther. And so when he gets into these matches with players that he should be in a third or fourth round of a grand slam, he just gets nervous. I just, I don't know what it is. The thing is he hadn't dropped a set to this point in the tournament. He looked so good the round before, you know, this match, he just didn't play well. When he ground out the first set, I thought to myself, okay, like He's going to find a way today. He's going to just stick in this match. He's going to grind this one out, be the young grinder he used to be before he was 6'6". And, you know, he still flashed all of the tools. His forehand's still ginormous. When he steps into a backhand cross court, he can still hit a, a short angle with pace that just hits it off the court like a few other players on tour. He, he just was... I don't know. Like, he just... He, it seemed like to me the Cole Schreiber slice on the backhand side and then sometimes the one-hander would sit a little short and Zero was too tentative. He didn't want to move in and then he had a worse neck shot that Cole Schreiber could jump on. And like we said, to Cole Schreiber's credit, he really made Zverev move side to side in this match. A sneaky physical match. Zverev 49.6 feet per point, Cole Schreiber 53.6. Yeah, you know, maybe this was because he just wasn't feeling on, but he seemed tentative. Like, I, I'm used to seeing Zverev go after his shots, and I felt like for so much of this match, he was just kind of playing the ball back into the court, you know, going through the motions and not hitting kind of the big forehands I'm used to seeing him hit. I, it was it was a weird match to see from him. Completely agree with you. I don't have much else to say other I don't than either. It's just sad. it just sucks <laughs> that this yeah that this narrative now is going to go into another off season of when will Alex Vera break through in a second week of a major and I just when will hopefully Chorich wins this U.S. Open and then it's just like oh my God, born a Chorich. Oh my God, if he wins this U.S. Open, I am texting him and I am flying to whatever after party he's going to. I was going to say, Fligner, I'm going to need another violin here, but do you think if he wins the Open, Hannah leaves Dalton for him? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if she will, but he's definitely going after her. <laughs> Edward back. I like that. I like that answer. That was good. Oh, uh, yeah. Disappointing from Zverev. Uh, I, I don't have much else to say. It was just a bad performance from him. Not a loss you expected to see. But okay, let's talk about our other notable results. And you know, if you have any comments, Rothman, just jump in. But definitely, let's talk. Federer Kyrgios, a match everyone thought, oh, hopefully it'll be a couple tiebreak sets. And from the onset, it looked like that was going to be the case. But Roger has said he is really focused on winning this major. You know, it's been 10 years since he won a U.S. Open. That seems to be the stat every commentator wants to throw at us as well. And yeah. side note, get some new stats, guys. But and it's yeah, it's also nice. He he did say coming into this tournament that he actually has no pressure or feels no pressure to win this tournament because, you know, he has had one on the year. He doesn't feel like he needs to win a Grand Slam this year. And Honestly, the way he's playing, it, it looks like there's no pressure on him. Complete. I mean, guys, I, he went around the post. Like, what else can you say? He went I, around the f***ing post. Remember when I told you if I went around the post once, I'd quit tennis? <laughs> 
He, he waited till he was 37 years old to do it. He's Yo, like, okay, now I can, now I can quit. He would have quit 25 times already. Dude's hit so many around the post shots. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And on a side note, better effort from Kyrgios. Still, dude. Uh, okay, yet, I'm gonna throw a, him into the mix. Dimenauer Kyrgios, who ends 2019 ranked higher. Oh God. <laughs> I guess Kyrgios, like, he just, his talent is there. Like, here's the thing. Kyrgios, I think, has just realized that he's good enough that he can stay in the top 30, make enough money to have fun, and not worry about anything. And so, I think Kyrgios will probably stay in the 20 to 30 range. So, I guess the real question is, do we think Dimenauer is going to break the top 20? And I think the answer is no. Okay, I, I will get back to that question, but follow-up question to that. 2024 Davis Cup Final. Daniil Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, and Cameron Kachanov of Russia take on the Australian team of Dimenauer, Kyrgios, and Kokonakis. Who wins? God, or does the American team? Or does the American team knock one of those teams Ooh, off in the semi? Of, I lo- but I who's like our the team? Americans. Tiafo, Donaldson, Tiafo and Sock. Did you really just put oh, sorry, Donaldson sorry, in? Sorry, I, I, I meant Fritz. Fritz. I meant Kozlov. No, I'm just kidding. I meant Tiafo. <laughs> Tiafo. You mean Ruben. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who Jensen knows? Brooks maybe by 2024, yeah. Jensen Brooks be your gauger in there. Yeah. So let's say, uh, who's the American team? Sock for the doubles for sure will still be around. Tiafo's probably one of them. Dude, a Mo Tiafo Sock pairing. I don't hate it. Wow. But Australia and Russia there. probably beat them. Yeah, yeah, probably. Ugh, it's tough, though. That's going to be fun. This is why I'm all in on Davis Cup. I love those teams. Dude, and just the young guys. Like, thinking about them in four years is I know is an it's awesome nasty. thought. Well, t- 2024 is a little more than four years, but I won't hold your math aside. That's true. Let's move on to some years. of the other notables. Del Potro knocks out number 31 seed Verdasco, 7-5-7-5-7-5-7-6-6-3. Sorry, I lost it there. Uh you know, good win for Delpo. Solid straight side win. Verdasco seemed a little winded after that Murray match, but still close match. Good for him. You know, good to see Del Potro tested, but moving on. Djokovic, you know, first two rounds he loses a set. Absolutely blasts Richard Gasquet off the court last night. Two, it was three, definitely his hair. What the yeah. hell is he doing? Well, save that. I know you'll get to mention that later, but we will get back to that point. Yeah. I promise. I Djokovic. Shit, wait, that you was wanna, the f- you want to cut that so I don't so I can bring it up later. This was the first time in the tournament Djokovic looked like the guy to beat. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he looked flawless in this match. It was ridiculous. Another guy looked really good through two and a half sets, David Goffin, who was up on Jan Leonard Struff, I think 6-4, 6-1, like 5-0, ends up lo- or winning that third set 7-6. You know, good, it's a good win. Like, David yeah. Goffin, his eyes work. Good for him, yeah. round of 16. His eyes work. That is yeah. a great line. I think we just titled the episode. Uh, John Isner, the number 11 seed, takes out Dusan the Deuce, Lajovic, 7-6-6-7-6-3-7-5. Can we please start calling him the Deuce? Sure. Okay, I was going to say you were giving me a face, so I'm in on that. Good win for Isner again. I mean, Isner, fourth round of another major. Hell of a season for him. Good for Shout-out to him. Shout-out to the top-notch team, Sam Duvall. You guys know we love you. Uh, next match we'll talk about... K- Kane Nishikori, number 21 seed, takes out Diego Schwartzman, 13 seed, 6-4-6-4-5-7-6-1 in a match that was way better quality than Cole Schreiber's Zverev, but we just didn't, you know, we weren't able to break, or we wanted to break down the Zverev Cole Schreiber instead. K looks good. Him, Raonic, they both look good. 
K is ripping the ball, hitting deep. I, I mean, it was the first time I feel like in a while where I've really seen him attack the ball as much as he did. And uh, it's funny, you made a comment in the Slack that if Diego Schwartzman was, you know, 6'2", he'd be the best player in the world. I don't know if I agree with that, but it is a hilarious hypothetical. It would be. I mean, I'd like to do a lot of things to a lot of different players. If Nick Kyrgios had Roger Federer's head, he'd have 22 slams. Oh, my uh, God. It's It'd be unbelievable. But then, you know, another match, Joe Sosa takes out number 17 seed Luca Pui, 7-6, 7-6, You know, if you're bored, you bike for two hours a day like I do, and you have a match you want to watch on replay, this is a sneaky good one because incredible level of play. Sosa in this match becomes the first Portuguese player ever to reach a major round of 16. You know, that's a huge moment for tennis. It's, not, you know, hopefully that inspires some sort of some sort of Portuguese tennis revival because that would be sweet. Uh, Chorich, the number 20 seed in a next-gen battle, smokes Daniil Medvedev, 3-5-2. and two. Medvedev just kind of ran out of gas. He just didn't have a lot left in the tank. Yeah, sadly. I mean, I don't know. We, we were high praise for him in the previous round, and... Chorich just kind of took it to him. No, I think we we had the Stokowiak virus. We did we snorted a little too much Stokowiak, and we just got high on the Medvedev train. He he really is the the tennis cocaine. <laughs> exactly. Another good match, a match that helped me pull ahead in Turnitopia. Milos Raonic takes out Stan Wawrinka, seven six six four six three. You have another Bachelor's disappointing result. I I mean at least for me because I had Wawrinka going far. Yeah, I think a lot I, of people after him taking down Dimitrov were excited to see him go far, obviously fresh off of the injury. It's just, I, this is like another sad result. I feel like there were so many sad results in this round. Well, you got to keep in mind, there, there's got to be balance in the tennis force. And so we get George Medvedev, but then we're cursed with, uh, you know, a Rayonich Isner in this round. It's just how yeah. it works. <laughs> cursed uh, with Rayonich Isner. Yeah, exactly. We love uh, but, you both. Uh, Don't worry. Yeah, but okay, moving on. Uh, Basilish Vili, you know, uses the momentum after the Jack Sock win. Takes out Guido Pea, 6-3-6-4-1-6-7-6. First Georgian player to reach a major round of 16 since Wimbledon 2006. Great result for him. Uh, John Millman takes out, in our last match of the round, takes out Mikhail Kukushkin, the Noah Rubin Slayer, 6-4-4-6-6-1-6-3. He also, Kukushkin also beat Hyun Chung, but still, he's the Rubin Slayer on this podcast. Uh, good win for Millman, and so that sets up, you know, and with that, those are all of our round three matches. Before we go, you know, we never end a podcast without doing this. Fliegner, cue the drum roll, please. It's time for this week's Changeover Chat. The Changeover Chat. I have a terrible confession to tell you, but we can do it on the podcast. I was talking to Dalton earlier, and he goes, dude. Rothman's a really good singer. <laughs> and I, and can you guess my response? You. <laughs> no, my response is, dude, don't tell him I told yeah, you this. Don't tell yeah, don't tell him. Yeah, he's really good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh, but on that note, let's get into the changeover chats. As always, I want to st- – well, not as always, but something we've been accustomed to doing here. I want to uh, some read some fun stats I found on tennis Twitter. As always, coming from at Luca Beck, that's Luca Branche, who really does have some wonderful stats. But you look at some of the uh, round of 16s – or career round of 16 appearances for these guys at Slams – Basilish, Vili, Chorich, Millman, Sosa, all making their first appearance in a round of 16. 
you know, that's big news for Chorch. I feel like this will be the first of many. Can you guess who the top... Or, I'm not going to guess, but so number one is Federer with 62. Can you guess who's number two, Rothman? Sorry, repeat the stat again. This is career round of 16 appearances at Slams. Who is... Federer leads with 62 appearances. Who is second? Round of 16. Nadal or Djokovic? Which one? I feel like it's... I feel like I'm supposed to be surprised. So, Djokovic? It is Djokovic with 45. Nadal with 42. Kind of surprising. Yeah. I... I guess he his injuries. I feel like Nadal yeah. missed more with injuries, and That's Djokovic. He, yeah, he took Djokovic off is, a bunch of Grand Slams, and sometimes he gets upset before you know he loses third round French or he had to withdraw a couple years ago. Uh, I don't remember if I had that debate with you or someone else. I think that was with Jamie who I yeah. said, but he he had to re- withdraw then. Uh, yeah. Okay. Another fun one in the Slam of the people who are left. Five set career record in five set matches. Who has the highest win percentage and who has the lowest? Highest. I know, this is a random question. All right, I'm just going to give it to you. Highest, yeah. Gofen. Gofen at 80%. He's 8-2. and two. Wow. L- the biggest loser, Del Potro, 4-9. and nine. Huh. I know, 31%. Just so you know, Djokovic, 76%. Federer, 65 Nadal, 61 Isner, 41%. 9-13 all time. What is this stat? These are just fun stats for me. I'm enjoying this. Um, okay, this will be our last trivia. Of players who have played in the open area, the, there are only five players with a win percentage over 85% at the slams. Can you name those five players? So I'm assuming Fed. Federer is number three all-time, 86.45 win percentage. He's 338 and 53. That is f***ing ridiculous. That is. Djokovic has to be up there. Djokovic, 86.05, number four, right below Federer, 253 and 41. Also ridiculous. Nadal's got to be up there. Nadal, number two, 87.5%. He's 245 and 35. That is ridiculous. All right, so now we got a couple others. These next two will blow your mind. This is the open era, so this could be anyone. Yeah, the names are very familiar, but the records are just... Is Pete one of them? Pete is sixth. He's 84.23. He's 203 <sighs> and 38. Um, Two more. I'll give you a hint. One of them retired early. One of them has a building named after them at the Australian Open. Oh, if one of them retired... Wait, wait, wait. If we're talking about retired early... Fliegner just got it in the background. Can you name it? Um, I don't know why I'm blanking... Oh yeah, it's via Swedish. Oh, no, I don't know. I thought it was um, <laughs> Jim. No, it's as yeah, Fliegner. Did you hear Fliegner scream it? Yeah, Borg. It Bjorn Borg, a hundred forty-one and sixteen, eighty-nine point eight one win percentage. That's ridiculous. Like, uh, that's Holy why he quit because he was like, I, I win. Like when I play, I win. And so, like, I'm done. Wow. Um. And then number five, Rod Laver, 60 and 10. That's pretty sick. 85.71 win percentage still. So some cool matches. And I think always, two, three, and four are more impressive because of how many matches they've played. Yeah, the Federer 338 wins at a major is just, or at majors is just 
I don't know if that'll ever be passed. That is so ridiculous. Sasha Zero's got to start getting on the the hoss if he wants to <laughs> yeah. if he wants to match that number. But okay, with that, let's do our last couple of things. We've been doing this on all of our daily recaps. We'll do our three biggest winners, three biggest disappointments, and then the matches we're watching in round four. Rothman, let's start with the disappointments today. I think I'm I'm gonna go with Vavrinka. I brought it up. Uh, definitely definitely sad to see him go down. I'm gonna bring up Zverev. Obviously a huge disappointment. Um, other disappointment, I'm going to go ahead and say the players' use of the Hawkeye. They've been terrible. <laughs> a, lot, a lot of missed calls. Uh, I've been really, really surprised. That's really good. I like oh, that. Oh, you know too. what? I have one more. I was going to say, I'm going to donate you my number one spot because I want to hear your rant about Richard Gasquet's hair. What dude are you trying to join NSYNC? Like are you are the Backstreet Boys? Is this two thousand and four? The best is both him, Benoit Pair. It's cause they want the OBJ ramen noodles. Dude, they have to die that back ASAP. Like yeah. you look terrible. I'm sorry. Does Gasquet win that fourth set if he has black Absolutely. hair or whatever? hundred <laughs> percent. He threw off his whole mojo. It's just a lot. It's, it's just like watching you know, 2005 Justin Timberlake out there. Counterpoint. If Fed did it, you'd be all in. Absolutely not. I would actually purposefully not watch his matches anymore. I'd Dude, boycott what if him. he went, what if he, when he switched from Nike, he also went blonde? So it was just a blonde Uniqlo Fed, just a new person. I would, I would hate the sport of tennis. Oh, you'd have Fed fatigue, certainly. See how I That's, sneak that, that in That is okay. for sure. <laughs> uh, my other biggest disappointments, um, let me th- I mean, number one has to be Zverev. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, I, I, I will continue to stick my neck out for him because I am so high on his upside and he's 21 years old, so I really don't think there's anything to worry about. But just, like, come on. D- don't don't be so lethar- I mean, lethargic on the court, so lackadaisical. It just was so – the three L's, lethargic, lackadaisical, and loser. He was a loser, and I want to see him <laughs> Yeah. So disappointed with that. Um, I want to hear your uh, your winners too. Well, Kyrgios, I think also disappointing. Would have liked to see him get a set. I just feel like everyone would have backed off on him a little bit had he perf- you know steals a set from Federer. Who knows what happens? I also had him in Turnitopia, so I'm just salty about that. Uh my third biggest losers: people who bought tickets and now are gonna have to be suffered to see Isner Rayonich. Like, what a waste of two f-ing hours! What a waste! Uh, I, it's nothing. funny we ha- we have that in um, our outline for you know matches to watch in the fourth round, and I actually was going through their head to head. So I-, I know this is for the next segment, but they are Isner is four and one against Rayonich. Nine of their thirteen sets went seven six. Yeah, dude, it's it's that gonna be so sloppy. ridiculous. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm not in on that match. That would not be a match to watch for me. Um, you asked for my winners. I mean, the obvious one, the the whole team that came up with the next gen ATP campaign. If I could and I had any days off left, we would be booking flights to go watch that event this year because it's gonna be f-ing awesome. Oh, like hopefully zero. Zverev won't play. It'd be cool if he did, but Tiafo will play. Tsitsipas will play. Diminuer will play. It's gonna be so good. Ch- maybe Chung will go and go for a, you know, Ooh, uh, he defend might be the a little title old now. Isn't he ninety six? Ah, I think him and Chorich are a little bit old now. It's crazy that like Fritz is on the older end of that group now. It's nuts. Um, but yeah, and then my third biggest winner. Uh 
Probably sleeveless in it all. I mean, he pulls it off. Like, credit to him. It, it's a ballsy move. It's hot in New York, and he's doing it. All right. Uh, I like it. Um, biggest winners, Dimenauer, of course. Uh, I Even though he lost the match, unbelievable tennis. He's a winner in my you heart. You like him now. I do. I, I like the way he plays. He, he fights, man. I, I love a fighter. Um, other winners... I think I'm just going to stick with two today. Uh, my other biggest winner, I'm going to go with the fans. They they seriously, they stayed there till 2.30. They were rowdy the entire time. They've been there late for a lot of the other matches. Good for you guys. I, I love how into the matches you've been. And maybe sometimes too much, but uh, that's all right. I, I prefer it. We, I, I had this conversation with uh, Gage and his dad. They we both. Oh, are you guys on a first-name basis now? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, we're buddies. Oh, Gagey? Um, oh, God, no. Don't disrespect him like that. Um, but we were talking, and we've talked about this before. Honestly, we should be able to cheer way more aggressively. We should be able to do Davis Cup-like, excuse me. We should be able to have a Davis Cup-like atmosphere at all times. It just makes the sport more fun. I was playing this weekend. There were some drunk moms in the back yelling their asses off. And that made me have so much more fun on court. So, I don't know. I, I love the way the fans are Everything short of a Vuvuzela, I'm in on. Just no... Yeah, yeah, yeah I can't handle now. that. I would no, lose my mind. Terrible. Okay, but then with that, let's do our last thing. Let's talk about the matches we're watching in the fourth round. Unfortunately, by the time this podcast is released, half of those matches will be done. The ones we're really looking forward to, I, I believe Del Potro Chorch is the night match. That one hasn't started yet. You know I'll be glued to that. Uh, Anderson team. Anderson uh, is 6-1, but we, we know who wins that match. We're not going to talk about it. Nadal Basilashvili going into it. Nadal leads 1-0. He beat him 0-1-0 at Roland Garros. Again, not going to tell you that result. And we're not going to talk about that fourth match on that side because I've already used enough of my breath on it. And then the Zverev quarter. Yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Isner Rayonich, and it'll be quick, so watch it while you can. Uh, Gofen versus Chilich in the Alex Zverev quarter. Uh, Chilich, who's up 3-2? I can't read. This now, is why I we, do the outline. Can we even call it the Zverev quarter anymore? That's true. The Nishikori quarter? The Gofen quarter? No, the Chilich quarter, the Chilich obviously. Quarter? obviously. It's got to be, I guess. Yeah, he no, looks you know good what? against him and It's the Cole Shriver quarter. The Cole Shriver quarter. He took out Zverev. It's his quarter now. I'm down with that, but I I can't tell you who's up in the head-to-head because your writing is illiterate. What do you... Okay, that that makes no sense because it's on a computer. Gofen leads Chilich 3-2. Chilich has won the last two. Nishikori leads Cole Schreiber 2-0. Their last match was at the Italy 1000 back in 2018. Or Did you currently. just... See, I usually... The way I do it, I put career H2H, and then I put the name of the person leading, not just ambiguous scores. No, it's it's in line. Gofen, Chilich, 3-2. Nishikori, Cole Schreiber, 2-0. Just get on my f***ing wavelength, man. Or do your own <laughs> I mean, usually I do, so okay. But yes, of these matches, top half, bottom half, I think we already said top half, Del Potro-Chorch is the one, but bottom half in particular, which match are you looking forward to the most? Unbelievable that Federer and Djokovic get two jokes in the fourth round. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess go Fen Go Fen Yeah, by default. I mean, Ishikori and Kohlschreiber will be fun. There'll be some good shot making in that, but like... Nah. <laughs> dude... 
if Zverev, if we had a Zverev win, and then who did Milman beat? No, Milman and Sosa both beat guys. That was gonna happen either. I guess Chung, Chung would have had to have won, but yeah, if third round may be better than the fourth round. That doesn't mean we're not excited to watch the fourth round. And of course, we will be back with you for a recap of our fourth round, just like we have been for the third round, the second round, and the first round. And we will continue to be doing that for the rest of this year's U.S. Open. Uh, Rothman, on that note, any final thoughts on the third round? No. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. I, then I, I will say, I think the biggest thing we learn, and you can comment on this as well, again, uh, we said it from the top, these next-gen guys are here, and unfortunately we're not going to get to see any of them break through at this U.S. Open, maybe Chorich, but yeah. these guys are on the precipice. The Dimitrovs, the Rayoniches, the Nishikoris, that group, you know, that group of players, uh, the Sox, they need to be aware. Like, if they're not, if they don't get their together, these guys are going to pass them, and they're going to pass them quick. I, I really think next year we're going to start seeing the next gens take over the Grand Slams. Someone, if I told you one of Fritz, Tiafo, and Diminuer was going to make a Grand Slam quarterfinal, would you believe me? Absolutely, yeah, and I, I, think, I think, and I think anyone who disagrees with you is is ridiculous. Well, we might have to hit Vegas then because I bet we could get some good odds if we Ooh, put that bet in early. Although on. we've we know where our, our Vegas bets have gone in the past. Well, we'll have to throw in like Tsitsipas or maybe not Zverev. We'll bet against Zverev. That seems like a sure thing. Yeah, exactly. That'll that'll get us our money's worth. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note. You know, a thanks to Roth, and as always, thanks to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, who has a, of a job to do, as always. But one last time, for my co-host, Max Rothman, for our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westhoff, and from everyone on the Crack Rackets team, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin, and Maxi, what do we say to our fans? Hey, great shot. Absolutely, we'll see you all next week. Great job by you, Maxi. Great job by you, Alexander.